I was, I was, I was looking at the back to see who that person was. <laughs> uh, we give all the glory to God. God is a good God. I want to make an announcement. I know some of the parents are coming back. <coughs> Next week, uh, Sunday, we have baby dedication. So if we've not dedicated your baby, probably you've had a baby in the past uh, nine months or one year or two years, and we've not dedicated your baby, please, you need to register so that we know how to, we want to give you gifts, we want to celebrate with you, you know, we want to pray with you for the baby, for the family, and if you want to bring your friends, your family members, there'll be neighbors stroke food, for you after the meeting. So we want to make sure we are able to cater for everyone. So you need to register at the help desk today. Or you have to phone the church office tomorrow. Tomorrow is the deadline. So please uh, just uh, register the name of your baby and how many people will be coming next week uh, uh, for the next week uh, baby celebration. That's fantastic. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. So we've been looking at uh, Bible series, uh, and uh, today we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians and Colossians. We're going to miss Philippians. Somebody, Judith, will be taking that next week. But uh, uh, I will tell you the reason why, because... Ephesians and Colossians, they are very closely related. Most of the things in the book of Ephesians, you also find it in, in Colossians. Now, I want to tell you two things. I don't know whether you know this or you don't know this. The first one, do you know that the Bible was written by more than 40 authors from different backgrounds over a period of 1,600 years? And yet the Bible is infallible for the authors who are inspired by God. The Bible was written by more than 40 different authors spanning a period of 1,600 years and they were talking about the same thing, the same person, or pointing to the same person who is Jesus. That is documented, that's a fact. That has been proven by the archaeologists, by the theologians by the scientists in this world. You can't disprove that. And it's the only book that has been written by different authors. You know, more than 40 authors. Do you know, the second thing I want you to know is also the fact that the Bible was the first book ever printed. It was printed by Johann Gutenberg, you know, I went to Germany for my holiday this year, so I think I pronounced that quite well. <laughs> From Germany in year 1455. So if you don't know, I just said I would just chip that in. Is that okay? Are you just knowing that for the first time today? Yes. Okay, so we go to the book of Ephesians, but I want to show you a map. I think the next slide, yes. So I will be using a lot of illustration so that you can get the context, the background of what happens in Ephesus and Colossus. So uh, Ephesus is there. 
you see, you see Jerusalem, that's where Israel is. That's where Syria is. And then where is the, so Thessalonica is there, Philippa is there. So you see, Philippa is almost, I don't know, about 400 to 500 kilometers away from Ephesus, whereas Ephesus to Colos is about 72 miles, which you can walk in one day. So, you know, all these countries are still there up to today. The Mediterranean Sea that was there years ago is still there up to today. So, the way you calculate the distance, then you can still calculate it today, and it's the same distance. That is why they've proven that, look, the Jesus you are following, the Bible that you are reading, is not outdated. Everything you read in the Bible is still there up to today. When you go to Israel, when they say to move from one place to another, it's, it's still the same. That's, 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 that is Cyprus. That is Crete. You know, all the book of Titus is around what is happening here in Crete. But we're going to be focusing today on Ephesus and Colos. Now, I want, you, I want to ask you, what do you think will be the occupation around this area? Please, fishing, tent making, okay, well, okay, <laughs> tent making. You see, it's a very popular city where you have people, visitors, who are visiting the place. So you have so many big buildings around Ephesus, especially Ephesus, and even in Corinth here. You have big buildings. There's an amphitheater. You know, Dave was telling us that even in Corinth here, they have a stadium that could take 20,000 people. Even then, the annual games they have is second to the Olympics in those days. So when you look at Ephesus, you can imagine what happens there. It's a big city. They have the Greek god, the Roman god, you know. And the Romans have a big influence all over this area. Hmm. So when you think about a big city like that, you know, sort of what you see happening in this gate on Friday night at the city center happens around this area. So you have a lot of prostitution, a lot of people getting drunk, a lot of people overfeeding. So when you talk, when, when you read things about gluttony in, in titles, people getting drunk, don't be drunken with wine. When... Paul began to address such situation is because of what was happening here. So there was lots of immorality, you know, people just, just worshipping gods and doing everything they want. So that's the story over there. Isn't that beautiful? And you see the church in Galatians, the, uh, the, that's where Galatia is. It's so beautiful that you can read all these books together. They are, they are closely knitted. And when you are reading Corinth, sorry, when you are reading the book of, of, of Corinthians, Galatians, 
Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Actually, all those books were actually written in the book of Acts. So when you read Acts chapter 17, 18, and 19, all these stories that you find over here actually written in the book of Acts. All these events, some of the letters we are written were because of the events that were happening in the book of Acts when the disciples were scattered to go and preach the gospel. So Paul had a big influence because when he went to Ephesus, you remember when he was in Corinth, he spent one and a half years in Corinth just preaching the gospel to the people making friends, having relationship with them. And after the church was planted and the church was growing, it left Corinth. But over years, over many years after, he discovered that some of the things he left in Corinth, they were not following his instruction. They were still having, you know, they were still getting drunk. There was division in the church. So he had to write letters back to them to correct, to encourage them not to forget what they had about the gospel and that they should apply the gospel in every situation of their lives. Something very similar is what is happening here in Ephesus. Paul spent about two years in Ephesus encouraging the church. He had a lot of people that he brought up in the Lord, discipled them, spent time with them, showed them the gospel. Now, one other thing you would discover is when you look at the, when you look at Corinth, Ephesus, Colos, Crete, what you read in, in Titus, there were not just Jews residing in the area. You have non-Jews, so you have people from Syria, you have people from Egypt, you have people from Italy, Macedonia. You know, it was like a community of many nationals like we have in our church this morning. I was just counting the nationals we have when people are worshiping today, the worship leaders. We had about six different nationals. And it's so good to just see somebody from, from Greece also playing the keyboard. There was a Nigerian. <laughs> you know, there was a Ghanaian. We had two British or three British. No, it was just like that in those days. So when you read the book of the Bible, it was just like that. So you could see people have tensions, cultures, different cultures, different upbringings, different heroes, different gods they were serving in those days all over here. So there was a lot of tension even in Ephesus. So when Paul planted the church there, years later, uh, the Romans actually imprisoned him. So the book of Ephesus was written by Paul in prison to go and encourage the people hearing some of the things that were happening. Some of the things that were happening in Ephesus. So he was trying to encourage them. Did you get the gist of what I've said now? Did you understand that a little bit better? Okay. So many of the things that were happening in those days they are still happening here in the world system today. So, you see, in the, in, 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 in the epistle, Paul will start by introducing himself. And he was always saying that, look, I'm an apostle of Christ. I belong to Christ. 
And the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I'm a child of God. Then he will send to them grace. So when you read the book of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, it will say grace and peace be multiplied unto you. And then after that, the next thing you will say is that he will tell them that I'm constantly praying for you. Before Paul will challenge anything, before Paul will encourage them, before Paul will say anything to all those churches, he will tell them that please be assured that I am praying for you. What a beautiful way to approach life. That before I talk to you, before I relate to you, I'm not just doing it. Just from my own intelligence, I've already prayed, God, please, I want to see you glorified. As I talk to my brothers, as I talk to my sisters, you know, as I, as I go to my workplace, please just lead me. Paul did that. And you can verify that in Ephesians chapter 15, which says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints, Ephesians 1, 15 and 16, I have not stopped praying, giving thanks for you. And, and I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you. You know, it will start things, even in, even, even in the book of Colossians, the same thing. It's just that I don't have the time. You know, if you read Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, this was a guy who was very prayerful, even in prison. Now, the church in, in Colos was not started by Paul. It was by one guy, Epaphras, who was a co-worker of Paul. So he started the church there, and Epaphras visited Paul in prison. You remember he said he was in prison. So I told him about the challenges they were facing, about the vision, the division, and the, the multinational cultural differences that were happening in the church there. And Paul wrote a letter from prison to encourage the brothers in Colos. Did you understand that? Well, I'm unpacking some, <laughs> something that should take a, a bit of time. But I want to focus a bit about what the old book is all about. Now, Paul, one thing you will not, notice about Paul was he preached a person, not topics. Anywhere he goes, he was always expanding and telling them the revelation about Jesus. It was all about the gospel, what Jesus came to do, that he died. Actually, he was saying that all the confusions you have is because Jesus died for you, he rose again, and there's an hope for you, even when you die. So he was asking them to live true to the, to the, to the gospel they received. So he was telling them that the story of the gospel should be their story. They should apply the gospel, what Jesus did for them. And even when they are reasoning, their reasoning should come from the fact that Jesus, what Jesus did for them. So when you read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 
22. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He was always referring to them. When Jesus picked you out from the married clay, he made you holy. He made you righteous. He redeemed you from all the works of the enemy. So live true to what Jesus has done for you, not by working so hard to be holy. He said the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is upon you. And don't you know that God himself adopted you to be his children? And God loves you so much that he has lavished his, his, his grace, his power, his blessings upon you. The same thing he was addressing in Colos. He was telling them that, uh, look, the work Jesus did for you, he took you from the kingdom of darkness. You were actually in the kingdom of darkness, doing whatever you wanted to do. But he took you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you to the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. That's where you are. That's where you should be living. And he's saying, sometimes the reason why you complain, the reason why you say you have ache, the reason why you say you are, you, are, you, are, you are confused sometimes is because one leg is in the kingdom and one leg is in the kingdom of darkness. And you are walking like this. And you are saying, ah, my back is paining me. He says, right, that go back. Actually, what you should do is, that's where you belong. Stop thinking that you are in the kingdom of darkness. You are in the kingdom of God's light. Renew your mind. And he was challenging them. Find out more about what Jesus did for you. So he says this applies to every situation of your life. Whether you are a husband or a wife. says, husband, love your wife. As Christ loved the church and gave himself to, 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 to the church. Wife, submit yourself to, the, to your husband. But before he said that, he said, submit to one another in love. And when he wanted to address the children, he said, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He was addressing different issues. He said, when you are a worker, when you read that in Colossians, he was saying that, work for your master as if you are working for the Lord, not to your masters. Give your best to your masters. Stop complaining. Stop whinging. Do your best at work. Let them see the excellency of Christ in you and shine as light wherever you are walking. So he was addressing different issues in the church. He was addressing the issue of unforgiveness. He was addressing the issue that they should be kind to one another. That don't they know that Christ has redeemed them from all those stupid things? They should set their affections on Christ. And not in this world. That was beautiful. So let me focus on two things. First, the first thing I want to focus on is in Colossians. And I'm going to be using the illustration of a tree. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. It says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, 
Continue to walk in Jesus. When you say you received him, don't go back. Don't backslide. Give your all to him and continue to live in him. Why? He says, how do you now live in Christ? That's very good. I think that thing is telling us to live in Christ. <laughs> okay, let's continue. So how do we continue to live in Christ? He says, being rooted hmm, and built up in him. Oh, I like that so much. He says, if you are a Christian, don't just stop there and think that is the end. Keep growing your roots down inside Christ. Then be built up. You know one of the things I notice in life? A tree that is going to grow for more than two, three, in fact, 50, 100, 300 years. When you see that kind of tree, like a mango tree that goes for up to 300 years, the roots or roots of a mango tree, they are quite longer actually than its stem. Wow. It creates stability. When there is no water, the root has gone down into the water beds to derive nutrients to make him grow. So is. So a mango tree is not, first of all, affected by external forces, external challenges. Why? He has grown down its root into the water beds, stabilized, anchored, that nothing can move the tree. And when it needs nutrients, instead of depending on external sources, it goes down into the water beds. To derive its nutrient. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. A mango Christian. <laughs> Immovable. Unshakable. That when I don't have money, I don't need to complain. I have my roots deep in Christ. That when I confront challenges, that's not for me to say, Jesus, where are you? You've abandoned me. You know what? I've grown my roots in Christ. I keep telling God, please don't make me a tomato Christian. Any plant you see that its stem is longer than its root is a, is a, what do they call it? Surface, surface, superficial, what do they call it? Surface rooted plant. Any plant, spinach, maize, you know, vegetables, whose, whose, whose stem is longer than its root, would die with its first fruit. And the lifespan is normally between three months and six months. Oh, I said, God, please don't make me a tomato Christian. <laughs> tomato, you don't need a cutlass to harvest a tomato. You just go there, use your two fingers, just pluck it. But if you want to remove a mango tree, you need a bulldozer. That when the devil confronts you as a mango Christian, he says, no, let's leave this. We need a lot of money 
We need a lot of strategy to destroy this guy. Let's better, let's, I think it's better we leave. And when you discover some of those roots, I went to Congo, I saw some of those roots. There's a picture of me in Congo. Can you get it? Did you see, did you see the roots of some of the trees like this? Erosion has happened that it, it has washed the soil right from the surface right down and the tree is still growing. If they attempt to pull down this tree, the root has actually gone down under the tree of the church. You have to collapse the church in order to remove that tree. I said, God, that's the kind of person I want to be. The devil will quickly leave me alone. Say, this man, no, if we, if, <laughs> if we do anything to him, it will cause a lot of destruction to the work we are doing. Let's go and face some superficial and tomato Christians. So God is saying the same thing. Be a deep-rooted man, woman in Christ. Invest your time to know whom you believe. Stand firm in him. Don't take your Christianity for granted. Don't, don't, don't serve God superficially. If you are serving Christ, make sure you are serving him, but be all you can. In fact, the Bible says in Timothy, says, study yourself to be approved unto Christ. Try your best. Do your best to stand firm in Christ. The devil will leave you alone. So that was one thing he was telling them. Just growing your roots, it would, it would, it would resolve so many problems that you have in the church in Colos. Keep growing your roots. There is no plant that is growing its root that will not be built up naturally. And you know, a mango tree will produce its fruits every season for 300 years. So when we are talking about the Holy Spirit, Dig your root down. And I want to find out about the Holy Spirit. Stop complaining. I don't want to speak in tongues. What's the tongue about? What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, they have been saying that every day. What does it mean to be baptized? I don't want to. You don't need to do it. But go and find out. Dig your root down into what God has called you to, to be. When God says, go and make disciples of all nations. Dig your root down. What does it mean? How do I apply it in my situation? When the Bible says, whatsoever thing that is born of God overcomes the world, even that's our faith. Dig your root down into what is faith. I want to know more about faith. How can my faith affect the whole world, affect the kingdom of Christ in my situation, in my community? You will see a difference. You will just see yourself being built up. Don't be an ignorant Christian. That was what Paul was telling them in Colossus. Now let's go back to, to, uh, to, to Ephesians. The last thing he told them in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says they should put on 
So please take notice of this. In Colos, he told them, grow down your roots. You'll be built up. In Ephesians, he was telling them to put on the old armor of God. How do I say this? You know, excuse me, let me ask you a question. What is the difference between put on the armor of God and put on the old armor of God? You know, if I say put on the armor of God, if you don't look at it particularly, you will be thinking, well, it's armor. What's the difference between put on the armor of God and put on the old armor of God? Can somebody... Tell me the difference. <laughs> when he talks about the old armor, it means don't take two. If there are ten, don't take seven. Isn't it? For you to grow, for you to be effective and maximize your Christian life, if there are ten things to take, don't take nine. That little percent, the devil will exploit it. So let's look at the whole armor of God. The next slide, my brother. <laughs> look at what this guy is saying. So when he's saying that, put on the whole armor of God. Don't put on the breastplate and the shield of faith. And don't start saying, oh, faith, I'll use my faith to claim a, a good job. A, a car, whereas you forgot to put on the sword of the spirit. When he says, put on the old armor of God, don't drop it. Don't say, ah, the devil is not even around now. Let me relax for one minute. And then you put all your armor away. Your armor should be on you 24-7. And the Bible is saying, actually, the day you become a Christian, you can put on those armors. But do you know one thing? When I became a Christian, for years, the way they show this picture, I'm terrified. It looks heavy. So I said, no, it's too heavy. It will not allow me to move. But he's not really talking about all those meta things. An armor is like a weapon that protects you, that also allows you to overcome and conquer. So when we say we are overcomer, God has given you things for you to overcome, but you've got to use it. So don't put on the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, and breastplate of righteousness, and you forgot the shade of faith. And... Shoes of the gospel. So he was telling them, put on the old armor of God. That is how you will become an overcomer. Have you been putting on just the breastplate of righteousness? And you forgotten the belt of truth? We live in a world where people are always telling lies. Where people are very deceitful. Even our prime ministers and presidents. Some of the things you hear from the president's mouth, as much as you say it, we need truths. Have you joined them in abandoning truths 
So Paul was telling them <laughs> to overcome the works of the devil. The next thing I want to say is that the devil is real. There are spiritual forces and realms and oppression of the devil. But don't panic. Put this on. Wherever you are, let them know you are a Christian. That was the first thing I did when I got to Stepping Hill Hospital. They knew I was a Christian. I'm putting on my helmet of salvation. You know what I discovered after six months? When there's a gossip or something going on in the department, as soon as I come in, you know what happens? Put on the helmet of salvation. Let them know you are a Christian. And when they asked me on Monday, oh, you know people talk about, oh, I went for a wedding. Oh, I went to the pub. I went to watch Manchester United versus Arsenal. I'll tell them I went to the church. And this is what I heard from the preach message. Excuse me, you asked me. <laughs> what did I do over the weekend? I, didn't, I wasn't preaching. But if you ask me, please give me two minutes of your time. I will insert Jesus. That's the element of salvation. Even when I'm treating patients, I don't preach to patients. During the normal working hour, I don't do that. But when a patient asks me, what did you do on your Sunday? The patient asked me, and I'll put it in the note. <laughs> My Sunday was good, but I went to church, and I heard the gospel about Jesus. It wasn't about religion. If you don't ask me, I'll keep quiet. <laughs> Breastplate of righteousness. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. You know what I want to say? God loves us so much. He has given us everything for us to stand. And do you know all this armor, when I was actually reading it? He says it's just for you to stand. He has given us everything to stand. You know, the last thing I want to say is this. Is this shield of faith. The devil, a lot of people have different theologies. They keep asking, can the demon possess a Christian? Uh, what I say is, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, Christ and the devil cannot be residing in the same place. I just know that that doesn't happen. You know why? Light overcomes darkness. That's why if you are carrying light, you can command the devil, get out. You can cast out the devils. But the devil can attack us. That's why we need the shield of faith. God loves us so much. You know, when God sees all of us, he's saying there are people that I depend on. They are growing their roots. They are carrying my armor. You know, they will, they will fight for me. So that's why the Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. These people, I know them. You can see on their head the helmet of salvation. When the devil sees that shield of faith, he will not even come near you. Say, why do I want to waste my gun? He's already having the shield of faith. Why? Let me go and use it for another person. The devil fears you. And let me tell you, God loves you. We've got so much to achieve in our generation. What was happening in those days is still happening now. But God is looking for soldiers 
armies of men and women that will go and take the kingdom for him. Let's do that as uh, I finish this message. Praise God. Yes,